Drive to the pass. Hold it. Defense. Number 33. Five-yard penalty. Automatic. First down. Greetings and welcome to the 4th and Inches podcast. I'm your host Sukdeep Pruni and we're here today for a very special episode of the Roger Goodgrove's Officiating Podcast and we have our residential UK Zebra rules expert Roger Goodgrove here with us today. How's it going Roger? Very good thank you Suk. Yeah just about recovered from the Super Bowl so uh, now we're, we're into the exciting spring league time. Exactly and that's, that's why we're here today to talk about the USFL. So we've got a very special guest with us here today, the Dean of Rules Experts of Fox Sports and the former Senior Vice President of Officiating for the NFL, Mike Pereira. How are you doing, Mike? I am doing great. It's, it's, it's phenomenal to be with you guys. 100%, the, you know, the honour is ours, to be honest. I'm very, very happy to have you on board, giving the UK guys um, a bit of a background about yourself. Now, um, I, I just want to start off, obviously, for those who, who don't know, um, obviously, they may have seen you on Fox Sports. Um, you actually grew up playing baseball on a scholarship at Santa Clara University, going on to be inducted into their Hall of Fame. Um, you know, you've had a, a great officiating career, rising through the ranks. Um, and then you joined the NFL in 1996. A couple of years later, you were promoted to supervisor of the officials. And after 14 years after leaving the NFL, you were appointed as the very first CV analyst for officiating. And, you know, it's because of um, people like yourself is why, you know, me and Roger are doing this podcast today. So, you know, it's it's an absolute honour for us to have you here. And obviously now we've got the resurfacing of the USFL and, you know, those guys who... Uh, were around sort of in the early 80s we'll know about the previous USFL experience but now obviously there's a new era now and and you're very much a big part of it now yeah it's it's amazing um when I think back about my career and and I say think back because it's been a long career I mean I mean essentially I first started officiating in 1970 so if you look at the number of years, 52 years that I've been involved, either on the field or in the administrative side or in the media side. And, you know, part of my rise through my career involved training and teaching and the as the head of officiating for the NFL, the head of officiating for the Western Athletic Conference um, and particularly exciting to me right now is I'm kind of you know, at the twilight of my career, I'm going back full circle. So I'm going back yeah, yeah. to running a program, um, the USFL. And so it brings back, uh, it brings back an opportunity for me. And, and I think officiating is all about opportunities. And in some cases, when you're off of the field and when you think about the administrative side, um, when you are like I was in charge of the WAC and in charge of the NFL, it's an all-encompassing job and you barely have time to breathe and you make mistakes. Um, but they're mistakes you don't realize 
until you're basically done and you look back and say, oh God, I could have done this better. I could have handled this situation better. Um, and so then now all of a sudden I've got this opportunity to circle back and, and, and go back and do it again and think about those things that I would have done differently and being able to approach this job a little bit differently. And, um, and that excites me. Yeah, 100%. And we're going to obviously, you know, go into that, you know, in, in particular with the USFL and, you know, what changes are being implemented compared to, you know, the NFL. Um, but just sort of going back to the, the beginnings, what, what's sort of been the most proudest moment of your career? Because obviously you've done a lot. Well, I mean, I think the proudest moment is when I first got in the NFL, when I first got the call in 1996 that uh, that I was invited in to work the league. Um, my father was an official and um, he, he he officiated on the collegiate level, not not the what have called what are called the power five conferences. So he wasn't in the Pac eight, which is what it was called back in his day. But he did. Um, a couple of small college conferences. And when I started to apply for the NFL, uh, he was right there with me. He was part of the process. He used to, any, any mail that I'd get from the NFL, he would open up and read it, even though it wasn't addressed to him because he was <laughs> so excited about the, the process. And that day I got the call from Jerry Seaman um, saying that, uh, I was in, that I had been accepted after going through all of the process of the background investigation and all this stuff. That call, that call was special. Yeah, It wasn't as special as the call that I got to make to my dad, um, who to tell him that I had made it. And I'll share with you what he said, um, because it was kind of fascinating. He was headed to a golf course um, in Stockton, California, when I got the call from New York, from Jerry Seaman. And so I called the golf course and I asked if he was there yet. And they said, no. And I said, well, have him call me as soon as he gets there. Nothing's wrong. Everything's okay, but have him call me as soon as he gets there. So he calls me and says, 10 minutes later and said, what's up? And I said, I got in. And he said, you got in what? And I said, I, dad, I got in the NFL. And there was silence on the other end of the phone. Um, yeah. he, he probably went for, a, for a, a good 20 seconds without saying a word. And I was getting kind of emotional, you know, thinking, man, my dad is so proud of me. And finally, after about 20 seconds, he just said in the phone to me, he said, just don't screw the San Francisco 49ers. And he hung up the phone and left. And he said, he went out and played golf with his buddies. And, um, but I knew that that was the moment that he was probably most proud of what I had accomplished in officiating, even more so than the administrative side, which was great, but the actual on the field achievements um, were really special. No, that's an amazing story that Mike, um, and I can imagine as soon as the phone was put down, you know, the emotions may have then run high, telling all his friends on the golf course what was happening. So that's a, that's certainly a great moment for yourself. Um, 
the podcast that me and Roger tend to do is we, we talk about week to week some of the officiating decisions that were made. Um, and this is coming from one of the, the, the listeners of the show. Um, just based on around the Super Bowl, um, it's sort of about the occasion of the Super Bowl. So do you think officials at the highest levels of sport should consider the spectacle and excitement of the sport when officiating in these big moments? Or are they solely focused on the game in hand? You know, how do you get away from sort of not being in awe by the whole situation? Because it's hard not to. Well, it's impossible. It's impossible not because it's a different game. I mean, the Super Bowl is a different game. I mean, when you think of an NFL regular season game or even a playoff game for that matter, you know, if it is a Sunday game, you fly in on Saturday. You fly in on Saturday, you have your meetings, you, you have a bite to eat with your crew in most cases, and then you get up and you normally have a church service of some kind, and then you get ready and you go to the, the game, and then you work the game, and then you hop on a plane and go home. So it's really a Saturday, Sunday. This in the Super Bowl starts Thursday, and, and you go in for a Thursday night dinner. Your family goes with you. That accomplishment that you have achieved by getting the, the Super Bowl assignment and it's only right to share that with your family. And so they bring aunts and uncles and cousins and, and, uh, and it's, it's truly spectacular. And the magnitude of the game uh, really does have an effect. I mean, you will mostly hear officials say, you know, oh, it's just another game. Well, it's not just another game. And even in the playoffs, that's not just another game. But it becomes another game. It becomes another game after what I used to look at the time frame of the first five minutes. The first five minutes, you as an official, similar to the players, settle down. It's chaos sometimes in that first five minutes because your nerves are a part of it. And, um, and, and so uh, that, that when you step on the field in the Super Bowl, um, you know that A, 120 million people are going to be watching you worldwide. You know that every one of your fellow officials in the NFL are going to be watching you. And you know that probably every official that works high school football or youth football all the way up, that they're probably watching you too. So the, the, the stress is there, the anxiety is there, but it does go away. And that's usually, you know, after the first drive or two. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, I have a similar moment coming up, Mike. As you're aware, I'm going to be heading up the training program for replay officials in the European League of Football this uh, coming mm-hmm. season. And mm-hmm. we'll be using the NFL's 2021 rules. Uh, you've been a little down on the way the replay assistant and expedited reviews have been used this year. What do you think should be the main changes to the way it operates without actually changing the rules? No, I, I don't think there's a. I, I don't think there's a necess, necessary to change the rules. I just think it's the approach. I think the approach needs to be changed in terms of how the officials are looking at this expanded, expedited reviews and video assistant. Um, you know, officials are like anybody else. They want to be right. And the, the problem in officiating is you just can't wait for somebody to tell you that you're right. You can't wait for somebody to make the call for you. Um, but in this age of technology that we're in right now, to me, that has started to happen. I mean, it's, it's a, 
a system that started out called O2O, official to official, where the officials were just supposed to be able to talk to themselves between each other on the field. And that's expanded. Then you can talk to the replay guy. You can talk to New York. And so I feel like that they have, many of them have gotten to the point where they're relying on others to make the call for them. And, yeah. and it's a harsh statement. And I understand it's a harsh statement, um, but I've said it and I stand by it. And there are people that don't like to hear it, but I do think that if you look at the 125 officials or whatever the number is in the NFL, I think top to bottom, they may be the best 125 they've ever had, but the officiating is not the best that they've ever had. So if you make that statement, then you wonder why. And, and I, I would say it'd be the same in the UK or whatever. Technology is your friend, but it's not there. And instant replay is your friend, but it's not there to bail you out. I mean, and we all know that, you know, even for replay to get involved, you have to make a call. Um, yeah. But that tendency at times is to lay back. And we know, I mean, we know now that, you know, if it comes like to a question of whether or not it's a pass or a fumble, rule it a fumble because you can always come back and correct it. If you rule it a pass and it's a fumble, you can make it a fumble, but you don't get an advance. So there's, you're officiating to the system. I think, and once you do that, I think you get, you head down a, a slippery slope. So yeah. I, I, I just, you know, it's interesting to me, Roger, is that, you know, obviously in 1999, when replay came back in, I was in the league office. And then when I took over in 2001, I liked replay. I liked replay because it corrected mistakes, but they corrected mistakes that were based on facts, grounds, lines, and planes. Those are facts. It was basically void of judgment calls. And it has grown to now, you know, judgment calls are being looked at. You know, the replays looking well in a catch. Did he have control of the ball long enough to perform an act common to the game? That's a judgment call. It's a judgment call that's made in real time by officials that ends up going to replay in slow motion and everything looks completely different. And so I don't believe, I just don't believe that replay belongs in, in, uh, in the area of judgment, but I just, I just, I think it's helped overall getting more calls correct. But in the end, I think it's hurt the perception of officiating on the field. Yeah. So That's continue crazy, to officiate it? as you would do. Um, don't be hesitant in terms of your calls and let replay overturn anything that's obvious. Roger, don't you officiate think your instinct? Officiate your instinct. If you think mm -hmm. it's a pass, rule it a pass. If you think it's a fumble, rule it a fumble. But don't wait. Don't think. Don't think. The problem is you force yourself to think, well, I think it's this, but if I do this, and then you look hesitant. You know, and that's not good. Anyways, yeah, I was going to say, Roger, don't you think even in our own national sport, that's exactly the critics that the fans have? You know, like in soccer, for example, it's ex we could be talking about soccer here as well, and it's exact same perception. Yeah, D don't rely officiate. on the technology. It's always been the case. Mm -hmm. Don't reofficiate with with replay. Is my my mantra. Um, yeah. So just just picking up on what you said about the officials, I mean, we, we both know that the officials will make multiple judgments on every play and thousands of judgments in every game and get over 95% of them right. 
However, fans will always concentrate on the small percentage of errors. Do you feel there's a way to improve the perception of officiating amongst the fan base? Well, let me let me go back to the first part of that. I think you're not. I think you're not being you're giving the officials enough credit for their accuracy. Because to me, I mean, I think when I look at a typical NFL game, there's ten decisions at minimum that have to be made every single play. And when you take the, into consideration that there's 150 plays, that's 1,500 decisions that are made. Now, some of those decisions are: is it a hold? Is it not a hold? Is the formation legal? Is it not? Is it illegal contact? Is it not? Those decisions that on things that aren't called, 1,500 a game, and they're 99% right. I mean, which is incredible. Anybody that's 99% correct on anything they do in real time um, deserves a, a hell of a lot of credit. But that being said, the expectation of officiating always has been 100% accuracy. And it's not possible. It's just not possible. Whether we're talking about American football or whether we're talking about the world game of football, and I prefer to call it football because it is the true football, um, you know, the, things happen so fast. Players are so fast. There's a lot less officials than there are players. And so you're not going to be 100% right, just like a player is going to miss a penalty kick. I mean, a player is going to fumble a, a, a football. A coach is going to call a wrong play. That's okay. That's okay. The general public accepts that, but not the um, referees. And do I think that can change? I'm giving up hope. I mean, I have started to give up hope. And, and, and the problem really is starting so early now that on the youth levels here in the States, when you talk about youth football, the parents are awful. I mean, they are awful. And you're putting new officials out to work a youth football game or any youth sport for that matter. And they're generally they're new. And so here they go out there new and not, not at their, obviously the most competent that they would be. And they just get screamed at by parents. So they quit. And so therefore we run, we have this in, in, uh, the U.S., we have this tremendous shortage, tremendous shortage of officials all the way up through the high school level. We have a, a, a real shortage of officials. And the only way that we can get around this shortage is to find a way to where people respect them again. But reality is that anything that an official does generally is negative. It has negative connotations. The only time you throw a flag is when somebody does something wrong. And so with fan bases and parents and all that stuff, it's, uh, it's you know, you see the, the game through rose-colored eyes, I guess, or rose-colored glasses if your team happens to wear rose colors <laughs> and or the team that you bet on uh, happens to be one that's affected by the call and the media jumps on it. And then you get even more critical stories of where referees get attacked. And it's a, it's a spiraling circle that is, is uh, playing out very negatively when it comes to um, officiating. Yeah, I completely get that, uh, Mike. Um, you touched upon there slightly about sort of sports betting, which brings me on to my 
sort of next question. Now, it's now becoming a situation with sports betting now that it's no longer just the overall result, you, you know, that officials are getting heat for. It's also sort of individual situation plays, um, you know, like replay. It's hard to put the genie back in the bottle, but does betting alter the way officiating has been over the course of the last sort of decade or so? Because that had an impact on officiating, do you feel? Well, I mean, I can't speak to all, you know, all levels when it comes to betting. We know, <coughs> excuse me, we know that it did penetrate the NBA um, when they had their their controversy quite a few years ago where the official was giving information to uh, a gambling syndicate. And, um, and that hurt officiating everywhere. I mean, that hurt it on all levels and all sports when, when that happened. Um, I, I'd like to think that it couldn't happen to the, in the NFL because of the consequences in terms of, uh, you know, what it would cost you, of course, your job um, and your livelihood. And remember that the NFL officials are basically, I wouldn't call them part-time, but close to, to part-time officials. And, you know, when, when that thing happened with uh, Donahue, Tim Donahue in the NBA, our assistant commissioner at the time, Roger Goodell, who's now the commissioner, came to me and said, um, the good thing is it wasn't us. He said, but let's pretend that it was. And so how are we going to look at our systems to make sure that we were going to have people that weren't going to get involved in something like that? So we went to yearly background checks. We'd we wouldn't send out assignments in advance beyond uh, beyond three weeks um, so that anybody would have a hard time tracking officials. But listen, it's, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's possible it could happen. And we know that it's happened, you know, in in um, the world sport of soccer, of football, that it's, it's happened. And so you can't discount it. But if you look at over time, the number of times that it has happened is so minimal, is so minimal that I don't think that that anybody should feel threatened by that. Now, 38 states in the United States have legalized gambling and probably at some point um, all 50 will. And so there's gonna be more of a presence of it, but I, I just, it, I just, you know, maybe I'm being too much of a purist and maybe I'm being putting too much faith in in my own people, my officiating um, fraternity, but I, I just I just don't see it happening. Um, they they worked so hard at it over so many years, and even in the NFL, I will tell you, Roger, and, and you know it was amazing when when we recruited people to officiate in the NFL. There's a reason we did background checks, and not only was it just to check their background, but to check. I remember when they came to see me, they wanted to go to my bank. I mean, they wanted to see what my financial status was to make sure that I was in good, um, good financial straits so that I wouldn't be subject to anyone coming to me and making some type of overture. But, you know, but again, I can't, I can't sit here and be totally honest with myself and say it would never happen. Hey, hey Mike, you mentioned that um, obviously, you know, replays moving uh, toward judgment calls and, and, and that's not necessarily a good thing. How do you want to see it used in the USFL? Well, I want it to be much more limited. 
Um, for example, just the, the things that I cited a little bit um, before, uh, you know, we, we have a simple process and you're using NFL rules and you know that a catch, there's three parts to a catch. There's control, there's two feet, and then there's time. And time is that C portion and time is that judgment portion. So in replay in the USFL, while all three elements of that are reviewable in the NFL, only parts A and B are going to be reviewable in the USFL. So we, we will review control. We will review two feet, two feet or a body part, but we won't rule time. We won't review time. So if they rule on the field that it's a catch and we see that there is control in two feet, even if the ball comes right out after that, whatever they ruled on the field, we're going with the eyes of the official. Um, and, and, and I think that's, I think that's a, a wise, I think it's a wise decision, but I've said that all along that, that replay didn't involve judgment. We're also going to use, uh, try a couple different things. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I had rules that I wanted to change in the NFL, but I always had to go through a competition committee. And um, very seldom could I ever get a, get those rules through. Well, now I do. I, I don't have a competition committee, so I can pretty much push rules through. And so the NFL rule where pass interference beyond 15 yards, pass interference is a spot foul, period. No matter if it happens five yards downfield or 55 yards downfield. And I was always an advocate of changing to the college rule to say maximum 15. And so we're going to make it maximum 15. Um, only if the act of pass interference is blatantly intentional. In other words, a defender actually reaches out and tackles a guy if he's beaten and that's beyond 15 yards, then we'll make that a spot foul. But I don't want to put that on the officials. I don't want to have them have that thought in their mind. It's hard enough to call. We're going to let replay make that decision. If it's a flagrantly um, obvious tackle, and then we'll let replay make that decision. We'll also let replay get involved in all personal fouls that are called. So if there is, and I understand how tough it is in real time, if there's a roughing the passer call and it's just not a foul, replay can take it off. Um, if it's a hit on a defenseless player, so many of those are bang, bang, and they're big hits, and it looks like it's the head or neck area, but in reality, it's shoulder to the chest, replay can take it off. So replay will have the ability to remove calls that are made, personal foul calls that are made. They can't add them. They can't call them. They can only take them, um, they can only take them off. So that's some of the nuances that we're doing with um, replay, we're only going to give a coach one challenge. And like I say, the entire center replay center is going to be in Los Angeles. And we have the Hawkeye system there now, and we will be in touch. Um, we will be on air with the broadcast crew. We will be, um, the, the referee will not be going over to the sideline to look at the monitor. We're very concerned about the overall length of the game. So he will just be told what the decision is. And, um, and I think it will, I think it, I think it'll be, it'll be good. It's, it's kind of 
in, in a way, what it's doing is what's almost been done before. It's eliminating the middleman. Yeah. It's eliminating that replay official on site at the stadium. When in fact, if you if you eliminated what the NFL is doing now with expedited reviews and and um, video assistance, you could probably do it in the NFL too. But since we're not doing expedited reviews or video assistance, um, we'll just do it all from Los Angeles. So going back to your time at the NFL, you talk about changing things and how difficult it was because of the competition committee. But you were the man who took the umpire out of the defensive backfield. Uh, is there a place where the NFL can place an eighth official on the field without putting the umpire back in the old spot? No, I, well, I mean, sure. You guess you could. I mean, I don't know where you would. Um, I, I think that the game is properly officiated with seven. Um, my, my reason for moving the umpire into the offensive backfield was purely for safety reasons for my umpires who were getting the crap beat out of them by linebackers. And when I made the decision to do that, and that was my last year, it was kind of like my parting gift to the officials before I left and, and went to, uh, went to Fox. But when I told the umpires, they all argued with me, you know, in their group of 17, Oh, we don't want to move out. We want to be there. I'm not, we like to, we like all that contact, you know, it's why we're tough. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and then when the meeting was over, it's like two thirds of them came to me and said, you know, my wife thinks it's a good idea what you've done. And, uh, you know, they, they were getting just beaten up and the coaches told me, they said, you can't move him. You can't, why? Because we're using them for a pick. Well, that's why I'm moving them. Because you're you you're you're using a 55 or 60 year old guy as a pick with a tight end who's 245 pounds and and the guy's getting um, you know the guy's getting nailed but I, I it creates some holes and you may have seen it in the 49er Dallas uh, San Francisco 49ers Dallas Cowboy playoff game on the last play when Dak Prescott elected to run on a quarterback draw and then time ran out on them um, and time ran out because the umpire didn't get there as quickly as he would have if he'd have been in his normal position before we made that move to move him to the offensive side. But, you know, I, I, I will stand by my decision that our umpires are healthier. Um, they're more mobile uh, and, and what holes that were created, you know, basically nine times out of 10 can be fixed in, um, in replay anyways. And I'm just not for an eighth official. If we put him Roger, we put him somewhere else. What do we want? We want another opinion. So what do we want <laughs> More opinions on one side of the field on whether it's pass interference or not? I don't want an increase in penalties. I just don't want an increase in penalties. I mean, to, to me, the game is a bit over officiated as it is. And to add another perspective, I think just creates the possibility of adding more penalties, which, you know, I don't think fans come to enjoy penalties or to watch the referee throw, uh, throw yellow flags. Yeah. Yep. That you just saying that actually reminds me of my eight year old. Um, he's very much into the NFL and at the beginning, beginning of each play, he will test me and he, he will, literally call out the flags before the flags get thrown it, it's astonishing i think he's a 
a future official for sure. <laughs> well, how we need to get him on the field. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, he's eight years old. Is that what you said? He's eight years old. and no. He's joke. ready. Come on. He's ready. What the he's heck? Ready. <laughs> but obviously, thinking about the future um, brings me to the next question. In terms of developments in officiating, you know, how do you see that sort of developing with not only the USFL, NFL, but just, you know, other leagues? How do you see things developing in, say, like five, ten years time? Well, the, 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 I mean, obviously the big question is going to be, does, does, do we ever stop the locomotive that is called technology? I mean, are we going to let them get more and more involved? And if we do, are we going to be facing, you know, what, we, what we're beginning to face in the uh, Major League Baseball here in the States, in AAA baseball, are we going to have the robotic umpire, the electronic mm. balls, the mm. right balls? Uh, you know, all of those things, which I'm wholeheartedly against. Um, I, I think, look at generally, I think I would say that, you know, if I look at a 10 year period, it's, it's like not, I mean, obviously with replay, there's been those changes, but I, I think the, the overall concern, one of the overall concerns that I have with officiating and it's a different concept. Um, it is a different concept, but I think we've taken the artistry out of officiating. Um, there's two types of officials. There's two types of approaches to officials, to officiating. There's the scientific uh, approach and there's the artistics approach. And I think we've gone way too far to the scientific approach where things are black and white, where fouls are black and white. And, 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 and I think that, that it's become, I don't want to say analytics because maybe that doesn't really play into officiating decision, but it almost seems like it has to some degree. It's like common sense is being taken out of officiating. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, and that's part of my approach going back into the USFL um, the accountability is, is, uh, is very tough in officiating on the college level and the NFL. It's all about grades. It's all about grades, 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 grades. I won't get fired if I get good grades. Um, I might make the playoff if I get good grades and good grades are based on things that you call. And, and so I feel like that even officiating has gotten, officiating is you officiate toward replay and then you officiate toward an evaluation system or great. And, and, and we're losing concept of the common sense of just passing on things, you know, passing on things that are not personal fouls, that are not player safety things, passing on things that in the game when, you know, the score is one-sided, again, not player safety and, and, uh, and, and certainly personal foul, but using, using common sense and you know i it's, it's interesting because dean blandino and i work together at fox and uh we often look at fouls that are called and we look at these fouls and then we look at each other because we both had similar positions we were both head of officiating at one point in time and we look at each other and say would you a, a call is made would you have no called that no call means that the official should have called it and you downgraded him for not calling it. And so often we both look at each other and say, no, 
And so if you're saying no, you wouldn't have no called it, then why, why are these calls being made that are edge calls, that are marginal calls? Um, and I, I just think that we need to kind of get away from the scientific approach and go to the artistic approach, which is to let's, let's care a lot about game flow. Let's, let's care a lot about how the game plays out. Let's let the players within reason control the game. And, um, and I, I would hope, I mean, that's going to be the approach that we take into the USFL. And, uh, and I, I would hope that even on the college level, we get back to that a little bit. College is better, I think, at it than the NFL is at this point. Um, but um, I, that's where I would like to see it go. So, so picking on that, the, the USFL holds its first draft today. Um, right. you, you've beaten them to it with your selection of officials. What can you tell us about them? Well, I think I have the best group of amateur officials that I possibly could have. Um, most all come from the Power Five conferences. 32 of the 35, um, we are, um, there five, there's five crews of seven. 32 of them come from the Officiating Development Alliance, their program, ODP. So they're all future NFL officials. Matter of fact, at some point before the season even starts, I'd say a minimum of seven officials that will be working in the in the USFL will be going to the NFL after the uh, USFL season. So I'm I'm I, I really think we have an, an outstanding crew, very diverse crew. I mean, we're about very close to 50% minorities in our um, organization. Four of our five referees are. Uh, are uh, minorities. We have four women um, that I think do outstanding jobs, one of which I think will be elevated to the NFL. And so it's it's really a good group. And you know, it's, it's interesting, Roger, because when I agreed to do this, um, you know, the one thing that obviously the first thing to do was try to put together a staff. And 35, I put, we targeted 35 people and we reached out to them and say, would you do this for less money than you're gonna get in college? You won't get as much money, um, but would you do this? You'll be in the springtime, the way it works out, we're gonna work double headers on weekends. A crew will work two games a weekend. You'll be away from home five weekends um, in the spring. Um, I thought maybe of our targeted group, maybe out of 35, I thought maybe 28 would agree to do it. 35 out of 35, without any hesitation, said that they would do it because they're officiating junkies. I mean, they love officiating and anybody that does it, loves it. Anybody that survives that first turmoil of three years when you don't know a lot about what you're doing and you face a lot of the sportsmanship issues, you all of a sudden, you all of a sudden realize that you're doing something that makes you unique. You're doing something that 99% of the population wouldn't have the guts to do themselves. And yet you're doing it and you're putting your butt on the line and it's, it's phenomenal. It's an adrenaline rush. I mean, and, and so it's like, 
I'm thoroughly convinced that if you took, if you, if you asked 35 officials who are currently working in the NFL, if they wanted to do the USFL and their collective bargaining agreement would allow them to do so, it doesn't, but it would allow them to do so. They do it because A, that's the way you get better is getting more repetitions and B, once you get hooked on it, man, it's just something that really feels good to do. It feels right. And you make mistakes and you hurt when you make mistakes and you'll never forget your mistakes. Um, but you know that what you're doing, 99% of the country couldn't do, which is just a fantastic feeling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that Suk wanted to ask a question um, that came in from a fan in relation to the NFL, but I think it also probably applies to USFL from the Room Ryan hearing. So, Suk, for you, 4th and 12th? Um, yeah, one of the fan questions were, uh, what one NFL rule would you change and why? Well, I always felt that the, the, the one was... Um, pass interference and that that was the one to me and the reason my reasoning behind it was it's a the hardest call to make on the football field most of the time and b there's it's the most punitive and so you're putting the official under so much more pressure and uh you know he's all of a sudden throwing a flag that could create a 40-yard penalty and i when i ran the league um you know i i, I used to really be bothered by, you know, a, a pass interference call that was a 45 yard penalty and it turned out that it was incorrect. And so therefore you gave 45 free yards to a team and, you know, you can kick a guy uh, and get a maximum 15, but no other penalty in the book gives you, you know, that much penalty or you pull his Jersey, you know, as he's trying to stretch for the ball and it's a 40 yard penalty. So, that was the one I said, if I was commissioner for a day, um, that would be the one I would change. But I didn't want to be commissioner for a day unless I got one 365th of Roger Goodell's salary. <laughs> then, then maybe maybe then I might be commissioner for a day. So so that that was the one that um, I that I wanted to change that we are experimenting with in the uh, USFL and then trying to put some excitement back into the game as an alternative to the onside kick um, and the onside kick with the restrictions in the NFL on how you line up um, is really the, the, the recovery rate is like ridiculously low in 5% range when it used to be under the normal formations up to 12% or something. So we, we, I, we, we, did this in the AAF when the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, when when they played, we had a fourth and twelve play that basically said you get a shot fourth and twelve, you make a first down, you keep the ball. So what options are better for you? Do you onside kick it and try to get it, or we'll give you that option to uh, to run a a play? And wasn't used a lot in the AAF. I think it will be used more in. Um, at least that's my sense in talking to some of our coaches that it might be used more in the, in the USFL, but, uh, and, and then again, you know, I, in the AAF, say we had the, the sky judge. And, and so I was a proponent of the sky judge. And in reality, 
um, in the USFL as a sky judge. I mean, because he can take off those penalties that are called. So that's like step one. He can take off the penalties um, that are called. And by the way, you know who that sky judge is, right? You are aware of who that is. Um, I'm guessing Steve Strimlin, but you tell me. No, it's me. Oh, hey, okay. I will, uh, I will be the one, but that undoubtedly I will have Strimling, um somewhere close to me and have uh, some, some good people close to me to make those, uh, make those decisions. So talking about one other change that everybody, um, uh, certainly in the playoffs this year in the NFL, didn't like the overtime rule. And I know you flipped your own position on it. Um, so what can we expect from the USFL in overtime? Uh, we're going to go more to like your true sport football. Um, we're going to have a shootout. Um, and the scoring when you watch it on the screen will be much the same. I mean, you, you, you will, you will see it's a, it's a three, um, you get three shootouts, three plays. Each team gets three plays. They run alternatively. So, one team runs a play. We're going to just do it simple, like from a normal two-point conversion. So you snap from the two, you make it, you get two points. Um, then the other team gets an opportunity. And if they make it, it's two points. Three rounds. And at the end of three rounds, if it's tied, then we'll play sudden death. And, um, and then the winner will be whoever wins in whatever round. So it's, a, it's kind of like, you know, Fox has been heavily involved in, um, in soccer. And, and uh, our boss, Eric Shanks, um, loved the idea of the shootout. And I do too. You know, first we talked about uh, a shootout of five plays. Each team got five plays, but then we were worried a little bit about the length of, uh, of a five-play shootout. Um, so we cut it to three, which we ended up all kind of liking because five plays, if you don't make it the first one, it's not that big of a deal. Three plays, you don't make it the first one, you could be shut out in the next round. Um, so it, it adds the element of excitement to it. But um, that, that's an, another thing that, you know, that we are, if you want to call it ex experimenting with. But see, we're, we want fast football. And, and I, fast is we're going to have a 35-second play clock, not a 40-second play clock. We're not going to pump up the play clock if the team's slow getting to the line of scrimmage. It's got to go. They got to go. They got to go, go, go. And we want the games played in two hours and 45 minutes. And, uh, and this is not the original USFL. This is a completely different USFL where all of the games will be televised nationally on either Fox, NBC, Fox Sports 1, USA, um, opening weekend. I mean, the first game is going to be simulcast on NBC and Big Fox. I mean, two of the major networks. The opening game will be on that opening Saturday, the 16th of, an eight of April. And then the next day, we have a game at 12, a game of four, and a game at eight. Um, and, and so, therefore, we want to make sure that Games don't run into another because we're all we're playing all the games in year number one in Birmingham. Um, so it's uh, uh, unfortunately, it's kind of Mike. Unfortunately, Mike, it's the wrong Birmingham, though. Yeah, well, it is true. It is true. It is true. I, I didn't. I would love it to be ours. Well, maybe we could just sneak one in there and head all the head all the players over and say, "Hey, we're Birmingham." <laughs> I mean, yeah, who cares it was a little if you have to take a boat, you know, to get over there, but. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, just a couple more questions. So, Sue, do you want to take last two? Yeah, so um, next week we're going to actually have uh, Dean Blandino, we know you've worked very closely with. Um, what would be a good question to ask him? Ask him what the biggest call he ever made on the football field. <laughs> <laughs> ask him that one. Just ask him that. And, um, and if you, I'm, ask, not, I'm not ask, sure Suk knows that he's actually never been on the football field. So. <laughs> well, but, but, yeah. but he'll have an answer to that. Uh, he will have an answer to that question, um, I think. And if you ask that question, he's probably going to know that that damn Pereira told me to ask. <laughs> <laughs> told him to ask, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But Dean is a Dean's a remarkable guy. I, I mean, honestly, um, stunning to me that he could get a grasp of officiating um, like he did, even before he got involved in instant replay. Um, get a grasp on officiating with a guy that's never worked, and 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 in a way, you know, he and I are a little bit different in that respect because he never. He never um, officiated and he rose to the top of the NFL and became the head of officiating and of course the father of instant replay. And in a way, I just took a different angle. I never played. I never played. I never played a down of football in my life. And somehow I ended up to be at the top of the ladder when it comes to um, officiating position, the, the head of officiating. Um, but Dean is a is a remarkable uh, young. I was going to say young man. He's not that young, <laughs> but I mean, all relative. He's a young. He's a young man, I guess, compared to me. Right? It's all relative. But uh, yeah, ask him about how many big calls he made in his career, and see if it <laughs> see if his answer if his answer has anything to do with sand, sand, like on a beach. Okay then you'll know that he's telling the truth. If he says it's something on grass, he's lying. <laughs> 100%. Before I move on to the final question, just want to remind the listeners as well, we will actually put on the sort of podcast information section all the rules for the USFL as well. As I know Roger's already got a number of the rules already uh, written up, so we will make sure that our listeners are fully aware of exactly what to expect from this new league. Because we're going to, that's the whole point of today's podcast as well. We're promoting this new league. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people upset after the Super Bowl. It's a bit of a downtime. And now we're so excited about this new league coming up. I mean, I've already picked my team. I'm a Buccaneers fan. Um, ah, I've been so to the Bucs. Bandit. Right. The Bandits. Yeah, I'm the a, Bandits. I've, I'm, I'm a bandit now, so I'm a, I'm a fully-fledged bandit. <laughs> My wife probably will be like, well, what's that? But, you know, <laughs> it, everyone's so excited about the league. Um, and do you have you figured out a way of how UK, lists, um, you know, a UK public can watch the USFL? You know, um, no. Um, I, I know that in one of our last calls, and, and you know, I seems like I am on about 10 Zoom calls a week in conversations with NBC, uh, the Fox people with NBC, there was some discussions, but they hadn't figured that out yet. Um, I hope it goes beyond just having to stream at some point, and maybe that might be an option. But uh, but I, I'm really I'm really not sure, and I wish I could be more optimistic to say that you will get them, but I just don't know. 
I'm sure we'll find a way one way or another. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, but no, that, that sort of wraps things up for this podcast, Mike. We really appreciate you coming on and talking to us about, you know, everything, you know, from how you started into officiating and the current landscape of, you know, the NFL and now this new exciting venture you're on with, USFL and I think I speak for all of us here in the UK you know want to wish you all the best with that venture and you know really hope that the league kicks on because one thing I think we we are starved of is you know between that spring season you know um, once February comes you know there's that gap of not having enough football um, and and this is something that's going to really really you know ignite a, a number of people I think and I'm really excited about it. Well, thank you. Thank you for uh, the kind words about it. And thank you for having me on. And Roger, uh, good luck as you oversee uh, replay in the UK. It's it's a big part of the game. It's a huge part of the game. Whether I choose to like it or not, it is a huge part of the game. So good luck to you and all the officials in the UK. Uh, I root for anyone who puts on an officiating shirt, whether it's in uh, football, 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 or American football or <laughs> basketball or whatever, I root for anyone with the courage to, to actually step out there on the pitch um, or the court or the field or whatever. So good luck to you all there. Thank you very much, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And thank you again um, to our listeners. I would really appreciate you feedback um, on the podcast take care guys goodbye